it's I think can be really liberating for organizations to see that it's it's not incumbent upon them to fix everything. You know, that they actually have partners who are going to be doing that similar work and in this and and that are on a similar journey, but aren't necessarily that their work is complementary to, to, to theirs. What is a theory of change and why should you have one? Beyond the answer of, well, our funders require us to include it in our grant application, there are a lot of advantages to mapping out what your theory of change is for your organization. It can seem a little esoteric, a little wonky, a little academic, and even what is a theory of change? Simply put, it's a graphic or written description of how your organization's work moves your mission and vision forward. It helps you map these pieces and show the logic of why you're doing what you're doing. And with this, you can also build evaluation systems that help you demonstrate your impact. And like any other strategy process, the conversations you'll have to get to the theory of change on paper or on a virtual whiteboard help create common understanding of what you're really trying to do. And the process can also reveal some gaps in your program design and process. Through the process, you might be aiming to do... XYZ with your vision, and this is the change you're trying to create in the world. And then this is what you're doing right now in terms of programs, in terms of services. And then by talking it through as a group, you realize that your expected short-term, medium-term, and long-term outcomes from your program don't actually move you forward to your vision. Or you might think about what has to be true for those outcomes to happen, the assumptions that are built into your design, and you realize that they're not realistic. There's too much of a leap in, in the logic from one step to another, and you need to build in some more steps to move people through the expected journey or pathway. And ultimately... The map is not the territory. Theories of change or logic models or impacts maps always simplify what is rarely simple. They are never meant to capture all of the possible permutations. Each person participating in your offerings will have their own unique experience. And they live complex lives with many things in impacting them their behavior, and their decisions. The process of mapping your impact, of mapping out your theory of change, can generate insights into which program elements and intended outcomes you should focus on and can help you demonstrate how changes are unfolding for your participants beyond just reporting how many people participated. Mission Impact is a podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without being a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit holistic strategy consultant. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting brings you whole brain strategic planning, mapping, and audits for nonprofits and associations. And on this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. My guest today on Mission Impact is Aaron Allgood. Aaron and I talk about what a theory of change is and the differences between theories of change and logic models, how a theory of change can help you make decisions between the many options and directions you might go and your many good ideas, and why each organization does not have to tackle everything. Deciding what is your part of the problem that you'll work on and what are you really suited to focus on and who else is working in your space whose work complements yours is very important. How it's really, truly not all on your shoulders to fix, even if it can feel like that sometimes. 
Welcome, Erin. Welcome to Mission Impact. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I like to start out each um, episode with just a question around what drew you to the work that you do? What would you describe as your motivation or your why? I love this question. And I, of course, like listened to a couple of previous episodes, so I knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> um, I have always been somebody who has cared deeply about writing the injustices in the world in a lot of ways. Um, my mom will tell you that I came out of the womb a feminist, and I just have kind of carried that energy with me ever since. And I had a very circuitous kind of path to to becoming a nonprofit consultant, um, mainly because I I went to school for biochemistry. <laughs> and hopefully this will be interesting for people to hear this. But I and then I went and actually got a degree, a master's degree in nutritional biochemistry and was just like, this is not what I want to do with my life. I was so interested. I realized what I was actually interested in was understanding systems. I was not actually interested in kind of like either doing bench science or doing anything like that. And so I kind of started on a journey after all of that to one, to kind of like figure out where I wanted to actually like be like in the world. And I started, um, I took some courses on food systems and I took some courses on sustainable business um, and so on and so forth. And that was all while I was working for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> this was back in like the 2009, 2010 timeframe because it was, we were in a recession and there was no other work for me. And I had all these science degrees and I could go and do that. Um, but it, what it really like helped me to do is kind of sharpen that focus on like, I could not just have a job um, doing something I didn't care about. So I really needed to create what I wanted for myself. And that's that was really the beginnings of my consulting practice. I started in food systems. And then about five years ago, I broadened out to really have a much broader focus on organizations that were doing, like usually have some kind of aspect of social justice in their work um, and started doing things like strategic planning, um, organizational development and uh, executive coaching amongst, you know, there's always little things here that come come up here and there too that I do. A little bit yeah. of a long-winded answer. <laughs> well, you know, it's often a winding, a winding um, kind of journey to get to get to where you are, and especially at that kind of beginning stage of your career, where you're kind of figuring out where do I fit, what am I really interested in, um, kind of realizing, well, it's actually the systems that I'm interested in. And how can I bring that kind of systems perspective? Um, I think that you know, I had a similar point at which. Uh, with my, you know, first job out of college, um, working for a, a people have heard this story before, but working for a, a, a magazine that got help help people get on talk shows and and coming to the point of realizing I don't want to be promoting all comers. Mm. I want to be aligned with the missions that I'm helping support and helping move forward. So definitely can can relate to that and. Um, as you said, you and I do a kind of similar work, focusing on strategic planning and organization development. Um, and I'm one of the things that we we also do, both of us, is 
help organizations map out their impact, or sometimes it's called creating a theory of change. Sometimes it's called creating a logic model. There, there are a variety of different uh, kind of terms for that. And I'm wondering if you could just kind of describe for our listeners what a theory of change is and, and you know, what, why is it important for an organization to have one? Yeah, I love developing theories of change, talking about theories of change. So I'm so excited that this is the topic we're, we're diving into today. I think of a theory of change as being the overarching way in which an organization creates change, or it could be an individual too. I've actually created a theory of change for myself as part of my business. Um, and where I, what I kind of think about when I think about a theory of change is it's really starting to identify what that like real big vision is for an organization. And it's broader than just obviously like their specific work in the world. I like to go really, really big picture with that and then understand as part of that, like developing of the theory of change kind of process where the organization fits in that broader landscape of change that they of of whatever that is that they're trying to bring forth. And so I um I think a lot of times when people develop a theory of change it's just it's it's much more narrowly focused and so I have a bit of a different take on that. Um and then you had mentioned logic models too and anybody that knows me knows me that I deeply deeply hate logic models. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about them, but <laughs> so what do you see as the difference between uh, a theory of change versus a logic model? I think that like a logic model gets really down into the weeds and it's and it, you know, presents things in a super linear way um, and it, or it presents how you create change in a linear kind of way. Whereas I think of a theory of change as being um, it's it's not it's never quite that linear, right? Like we know that, like we know that change doesn't happen in a super linear fashion. We know that it's iterative. We know that like things, like certain things build upon one another. We know that like there's oftentimes this like squiggle, you know, of a journey to kind of get from point A to point B with a lot of different detours off of it as well. And so the way that I look at a theory of change is like, it's a broader kind of framework in which an organization is, is kind of what that's helping to guide an organization versus the rigidity of a logic model where it's kind of like, oh, here's like, here's our goal. Here's our, you know, kind of the tactic that we're going to take. And then here's the outcome we predict and so on and so forth. It's, and that that's not that that's anything, there's anything wrong with that per se. Um, but it leaves a lot of, um, it, I think that what it does is it, it forces organizations into, um, into a bit of a, into a bit of a box in which that they can't, they can't allow things to develop more organically or to emerge as they go through. And so it, and it doesn't allow them to necessarily grow as they're going through, through a process. And of course we need to be able to kind of like have things and outcomes that we care about and want to like map to an extent. Um, but the way that I develop like a, a, you know, when I work with organizations is um, I develop kind of usually an idea of what it looks like to be successful. And that's not necessarily tied to like a metric, like increase participation by 27% or something like that nature. So it's a lot, you know, the theory of change that I'll create oftentimes is um, 
is a bit broader in focus. It, of course, has different strategies associated with it. So say an organization, you know, one of those main strategies is going to be education. So like I'll oftentimes help organizations identify the big vision. We'll obviously go through and and talk about the mission and the core identity, like for their values and beliefs and things like that, that underpin the work that they do. And then it will start to boil down to like what are those kind of broad strategies that they're trying to do in order to be able to get to that vision. So for instance, one of the organizations I'm working with right now, we have identified that there's two main strategies. One is um, like a focus on like the individuals that they are trying to help through the work that they do. And then the other way is addressing systems level harm. So it's kind of like really doing the on the ground work versus kind of like, how do we fix this so that this systemic these systemic issues aren't a problem as we, you know, five years from now. Um, and so underneath those, there's a couple of different programs that that kind of nestle underneath those. Um, and then, you know, and part of the addressing systems level harm, those programs are like education and advocacy, as you can imagine. And then there's the like more specific programmatic work towards kind of like dealing with the individual piece of that. Um, so, that gives them a lot of like spaciousness, you know, in order to be able to kind of say, where do they want to go from here in order to, to, to be able to create these kinds of change. And they can use that theory of change as they move forward. It's, that's not necessarily like tied to, you know, a like three to five year kind of strategic plan that could actually be like a much longer standing kind of a, um, you know, a, a tool for them to be able to use moving forward. And it's, um, and then it's also paired with obviously much more specific kinds of goals and objectives and priorities that I would bring into into the actual written plan itself. But it's that broader framework that allows them to really kind of play within um, play within those bounds and to be able to have that flexibility moving forward. So they're not they're not super yeah like backed into a corner when they have this uh, like a super rigid plan in front of them or something like that. As you can tell, I don't write super rigid plans, <laughs> probably. Yeah, and I appreciate the, the the distinction between those different those different things. And um, I mean, even if you get into the nitty gritty with something like a logic model, you know, I always want to tell people or help help them bring some context that um, you know, the map is not the territory. A model does not is just a model. It doesn't define reality. It can be helpful as a tool to help you have a conversation to come to agreement around what are the assumptions that we're we're embedding in this? What do we think is going to happen? How can we test that? Um, but yeah, it, there's always a danger once it gets you know mapped out or in a plan that people get afraid to change it and. Um, for me, that's never the the ultimate purpose of any of these kinds of processes, but it's more, can we get stuff out of people's heads onto a page so that we can all look at it together? Um, yeah, I'm thinking I'm, I'm starting to work with an organization right now and it's exactly that. It's a relatively new organization. They've got, you know, the founder has some great ideas about what they want to do. Um, they're doing stuff already, but they, they haven't a chance to, you know, expand things. And this, by doing one of these processes, theory of change, logic model, impact map, whatever you want to call it, 
you know, I think one of the biggest benefits will be to get a lot of the stuff that's in his head, in other staff people's heads, maybe in board, you know, if the board ends up being involved and get it out so that everybody can look at it and say, do we actually agree on this picture of what we're we're trying to do together? Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, that's like so powerful to be able to do that and just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And it's like the cornerstone of doing strategic planning because you never want to get super far into a process and then be like, oh, we're not all on the same page at all. But it's also probably hard. And you, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, like to get people sometimes to commit, especially, especially a founder or especially organizations that are just super energized about things to kind of picking a path because a lot of the times they want to do everything. And I'm kind of like, we create a theory of change so that they understand that they, you know, they got, they start to see like the, the, um, the through line between like the work that they're doing and the out and, and the kind of the vision that they're trying to achieve in outcomes. But it's um, it also helps them to kind of see like, Oh, we can't, if we do like a thousand different things, we can't actually be super effective at any of them. Yeah, I literally said this yesterday. I was like, I have yet to meet a nonprofit staff person, leader, board member, executive director who did not have enough ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) There's always an abundance of ideas, different directions, different tactics, different strategies, all to move towards the same vision. But what are the ones that you are you going to choose? What are the ones that you are really going to deepen and get good at? what's within your core competencies. And it's it's hard to make those decisions, especially as a group. But I think that's that's a part of um, what these these kinds of processes can help with as well to to set some priorities and refine that. Um, and I, I appreciated what you said about the theory of change um, also being also mapping kind of the wider context that the organization is in, because the ones that I have seen have been a little bit in a vacuum. So I'd love for you to say a little bit more about what that looks like and the benefits of doing that. Yeah. I am like so grateful that you asked that question too, because I love talking about it. It's, I look at, um, you know, I think that when it, again, that helps them to kind of narrow some of their focus when we start to look at the broader picture and be like, well, what are, what is the lane that you're playing in this? And what is what is also the lane that your partners are playing in? Because it should likely it's going to be a little bit different than what they're playing in. And so I because um, I think, you know, I love the tagline for this podcast, like how not to become a martyr to the cause, because I think that a lot of people look at it like, oh, we have to do everything. We have to do everything under the sun in order to be able to, like, tackle xyz whatever whatever their their cause actually is and it's i think can be really liberating for organizations to see that it's it's not incumbent upon them to fix everything you know that they actually have partners who are going to be doing similar work and in this and and that are on a similar journey but aren't necessarily that their work is complementary to 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 theirs um what i also think is super important about that part of things too is I like to help organizations really understand that they're um, start to break up with this idea around, you know, white supremacy culture and like how that gets like enacted within organizations, which is so much rooted in, you know, oftentimes you see that kind of individualism, which can play out like 
within the internal culture of an organization or for the organization themselves to kind of like, oh, we're on it, you know, on our own. We're just doing it. You know, we're just, you know, charging forth and we're by ourselves in this. And I help them to start to break up with that idea that like they have to do it all by themselves um, and that they are like the center of of all of that. So it's it's um there's a couple of different reasons why I why I help them kind of see that bigger picture, but a lot of it is you know starting to shift this narrative around like any one organization is is going to create the change that they actually do need collaboration in order to be able to bring about these things. And we're talking about wicked problems, right? Like we're these or like these are like things that nobody solves are on their own and to be able to even try to say that they could you know develops that kind of hero complex that i think is you know so detrimental within our sector because we don't want people out there just being like you know like pompous assholes like <laughs> thinking that that like they're the only reason why change create like happens no it actually does it requires many many different people working towards the same goal coming at it from a bunch of different angles and um and we just yeah we don't want that to be we want to kind of start to shift towards more collaboration and less um of this kind of individualism as is one of the things that i try to help organizations do yeah helping them see how they can be complementary to the other organizations that are in the same space as them, not be competing for, you know, the same ground, uh, but, but working together to, to solve the problem. As you say, they're, they're most of these problems that organizations are working on are huge and complex and, um, and yeah, hero is probably the positive version of martyr. <laughs> and, um, and both of them, I, I, I mean, from my point of view or, or from my experience, it's rarely, you know, and there are exceptions, but it's rarely out of a sense of it's got to be all mine. But there is this like, it's all on my shoulders kind of feeling. And it's like, no, it's not. You're one person, you're one organization, you're in one time in a whole, you know, movement um, of people, sector, what, whatever you know, term you want to use, that you're part of this larger um, ecosystem that's that's working towards that vision with you. And if you can see that, you can kind of take a deep breath, relax a little bit, and focus in on what you do best. Mm. Yeah, when I've done this kind of work, you know, because I've done theory of change, obviously as part of like strategic planning processes and things like that. When I've done this also with, um, you know, like I've gone in and into like teach younger, you know, students and like college students um, talking about things like uh, how do we do, how do we start to shift our practices so that we can, what did I call it before? It was like conscientious consulting, I think is how I talked about it. Like how do we shift our business practices, you know, to be more, I don't know, probably inclusive jest etc like something of that nature um but you know i think what i've what i've heard from a lot of folks when they reach out to me they're like oh i just want to do what you do in the world and how do we how do i do this you know and i'm like okay one it's taken me a decade to get to this place (laughs) you know there's no there's no quick fix there's no silver bullet here to just kind of like do this kind of work um and so much of what i've how i've done this work is just so 
like it's just developed organically in a, in a way um, that's really unique to who I am. But it's I think a lot of people are so they have such an appetite to go out and, and be those kinds of change makers. And they don't necessarily have they don't have the grounding yet to kind of understand like a lot of the things we just you were just saying, like that we don't do this you know, that, that it's, that we do, you know, they don't realize that they can't do it on their own. They don't realize that they can't, um, like that it's all focused on them. So like, for instance, I've seen, um, I've done a bunch of, I also judged a bunch of pitch competitions before. I don't know if you've done that before. <laughs> it's super fun. Um, but I just hear like these, these students who are just kind of like coming at these things from a place where, um, which they're so amazing. I should say that before I dive into this, but but they're coming at it from such a narrow perspective of like, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to do it this way. And they haven't necessarily thought about it from this broader perspective of like, you're going perhaps into like a community to try to solve this problem. Does that community even want you to solve this problem? <laughs> like, or is that really the solution? Is, is that's that the problem right? that they want you to solve? <laughs> right. Have you talked to them? Yeah. What are their perspectives? What are their priorities? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So like part of like the theory of change for me too, is just like helping them to for like, especially if they're doing it on an individual level to kind of like in, interrogate that a bit, like where, what are your motivations for trying to, to be quote unquote, like a change maker in the world. Like what is your motivation for trying to do this kind of work and how do you get, and if it's really like, once you've kind of like tested it a little bit for yourself and like put it through the ringer and you will come back to it and you're like, yep, this is still what I want to do. You know, then how do you start to build around that so that it actually, so that it has some more teeth to it, you know, so that it actually has, um, so that it makes sense in the broader context of what you're trying to do. And is that and have you like really taken a closer look at what the community wants too? That's so those are some of the the conversations I have with I mean with organizations, but also with individuals too, you know, who are trying to go out there and kind of figure out what their place is in the world. Yeah, and it could be, you know, I've heard uh career advice um framed in the in the point of view of saying, you know, don't think about what you want to do, but think about what problem you want to solve in the world. And so that could be a starting point. But at the same time, it's, you know, what does the community want? What does the community need? What are their priorities? And then who's already doing work that you want to do? And how can you get on their bandwagon first before you create your own bandwagon? Right, right. Because a lot of people come at something without really a depth of understanding you know, and I, I mean, and I'll say that like for myself too, when I first started doing food systems consulting, I remember, you know, I'd had, you know, training in that and I had been like so excited to kind of go out and like do something. And I worked with, you know, food pantries and things like that. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to help. Um, like, of course, I sound like such a douchebag and younger me, you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll, we'll be, we'll forgive younger you. Okay. Yeah. We'll forgive younger me. But I was just like, I was, you know, I did my master's degree at a time when, um, when, when like obesity was like the big thing. And I was like, oh, well we've got to like help, you know, I have to help 
people who are food insecure eat better. And like nowadays, I'm just kind of like they have to eat healthier. I'm going to help them, you know, access local food and things like that. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, I just didn't understand the systems level issues that were at play here. Like, it's not that like people can't access good food or, or, um, I mean, well, yes, they can't access good food for a lot of different reasons, but it's not because they can't do it for whatever X, Y, Z. It's not because they're or making they don't bad choices. want to do it, which I think is somehow at times how it's framed. Exactly. It's like, oh, we actually have really bad policies in our, in, you know, that are preventing people from being able to like actually access food. We don't people pay people living wages. We don't do X, Y, Z. And so it took me like a really long time to like start to understand that like, Whenever I saw a problem on the surface, you know what I mean, that there was a whole like iceberg below that of like reasons why that problem was presenting the way that it was. And that like if I didn't start to understand the depth of it, I was not going to be able to like even start to make a, an impact, a, like even the smallest impact or difference um, on that. And I think and so that's why I I, I always I've I've started to really understand the complexity of those kinds of things much more in depth. And I help my clients do that. And I help young people start to do that, too, because I'm like, we can solve like a surface level problem. But if we start solve that surface level problem, who's to say that that's not going to give rise to a bunch of other problems down the road because we're not actually getting at the root cause of anything? Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, processes like mapping out a, a theory of change, can. it basically helps you start um, mapping out that iceberg. What yeah. are all the factors that, are, that aren't as obvious? And um, what are all the assumptions built in? What are the things that we're not, not seeing on the surface that, uh, you know, could help really make a different or more impactful um, strategy to, to address to address those wider concerns. And I, I mean, I feel like there's uh, sometimes in the sector, a little bit of a false dichotomy between, you know, we're going to help the person in their, their, their immediate need versus the longer term policy systemic thing. And to me, you know, we need to do both. It doesn't have to be an either, or some people will be drawn to one. Some people will be drawn to the other. Um, and, and both, you know, move, move things forward make make things more positive for people yeah oh i love those kinds of conversations we have with organizations though like that depth of just kind of like starting to dive into it and starting to understand like what is really like the thing here like what are we trying to do and i'm trying to think of a good example to share that wouldn't um violate confidentiality at the moment but like um uh Cause I really, cause I would love to be able to kind of like illustrate some of this, but. Yeah. Cause it can be, I think that's what keeps people away from these kinds of processes. Cause it sounds yeah. so esoteric and it's like, wow, we've got, we got immediate urgent work to do. Why would we want to bother right. going through a process like this? Right. Exactly. Like, and kind of, it's heady and it's just very, you know, it can feel really abstract for people who like things to be a little bit more concrete. Um, but I like I did a, a a retreat with an organization and who works on um, who does harm reduction work. So, you know, helping folks literally by, you know, handing out clean syringes and things like that and does a whole lot of other things as well. But what it boiled down to as we were doing the retreat was that 
one, we had to tackle stigma, you know, in order to be able to like to help, you know, like the big picture is to like reduce overdose deaths. Right. Like and to give people everything that they need in order to like live full, you know, happy, meaningful lives, you know, and as we kind of drilled down more and more and more into that, it was like, oh, radical love is actually at the core of this. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we actually have to figure out how do we amplify radical love for everyone? And like, I give myself goosebumps thinking about that. Like it's when you start to kind of delve into that. And it's, and of course there's like, there's like a gazillion more layers of which, you know, that, that come as part, part of that framework. But, you know, it's, or how do, you know, part of it is like, how do we infuse that radical love into, into the work itself? Because that's such, that is like a, a key to being able to like actually move forward with things um, and to create and to actually transform our society into one where we really like, where people who do use drugs are actually, they are treated as whole human beings worthy of respect and deserving of love. And so, you know, for, for me, like I want to get down to that like level with my, with my organizations and like, so that we can start to say, now, how do we operationalize that? How do we operationalize radical love? Because if we can start to figure out how to do that and to put that into place, then we will really be able to to do unbelievable, amazing things. And I don't think that there's a lot of, like you were saying before, like for a lot of people to try to get to that place, they're just like, what is she talking about? You know what I mean? Like, what what are you even talking about, Erin? Um and some people just do not come along that journey with me always. But when, if they can and if they do, you know, if they can stick with it long enough, they'll be able to see something like really, really powerful reflected in the final product. And they will have just by having asked those questions of themselves, they are going to be a stronger organization for that. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how that could show up in so many different aspects of the organization, their culture, how they're treating each other day to day, you know, all of that. Um, if they're centering uh, that, that, you know, radical love and, and really putting that at the, at the center, then it ripples out in, in lots of, lots of different ways. Yeah. I mean, it's powerful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Aspirational. Yeah. Definitely. Um. So in previous episodes, I've asked a random icebreaker question at the end, and I'm I'm changing things up a little bit um, uh, going forward and just want going to ask each uh, guest, what permission slip would they give to nonprofit leaders or what would they invite them to consider as they work to cultivate a healthier organizational culture? So what would yours be? Either a oh. permission slip or an invitation towards, I guess, that radical love that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I would want them to have a permission slip, I guess, to to take the time out to really do that kind of work, especially with their staff, with their stakeholders, to kind of really ask themselves those kinds of questions. Because I think that a lot of leaders and and their staff, for sure, too, like, lose sight of the mission work in the day to day, 
you know, they go from task to task to task. They um, they never pick their head up and get to look at the bigger picture, the 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 real the big vision that they're working towards. And so giving themselves an opportunity just to reconnect to that periodically, I think, would be transformative um, in so many different ways. And then figuring out how to infuse some of that magic, like into into more of the day-to-day too so like how do you keep that how do you continue to keep that um the reason why everybody got into this work in the first place like alive and front and center for people i mean if they can do that that'd be amazing (laughs) yeah so they can kind of keep that high from the the retreat the enthusiasm and bring it and figure out ways it can't it can't just be kind of a wish you have to think about what are the different ways that you're actually going to um keep bringing us back to our why. Yeah, exactly. So how can people find you and be in touch? Yeah, people can um, find me at allgoodstrategies.com. And um, I also have my own podcast that you're going to be on, Carol. I'm so excited, (laughs) called Rise and Rouse Conversations for Those Who Give a Damn. And folks can, you know, probably the easiest way to find that is to just go to Instagram and type in at Rise and Rouse. And so just follow me. I would love to be able to, um, yeah, connect with anybody. And if you go to my website, you can find my contact information and all that jazz too. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Erin. I I really appreciated the conversation. Thank you so much too. This was a a really fun opportunity. And um, yeah, and I hope that it'll be interesting for folks. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find how to connect with Erin, her full bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain strategic planning, mapping, and audits for nonprofits and associations. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staff, nonprofits, and associations with human-centered missions. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would share it on your favorite social media platform and find me and tag me. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.